And let's take our Bibles and turn back to Revelation 20. While folks are finding their place, uh, those of you that are visiting with us, you know, just the way that I uh, generally preach from the Scripture is uh, we, uh, about half the year, we're in the New Testament, and half the year we're in the Old Testament. And uh, I just preach through books of the Bible. And we start at the beginning, work our way through a book. I enjoy doing it that way. I feel as if it's a way for all of us to receive the whole counsel of God. It's helpful for me because it keeps me from preaching on hobby horses or ideas. I just open the Bible and whatever text comes next, that's what we preach. And so I think that it's a helpful way for us to avoid uh, hobby horses. And so uh, somebody has said to me one time, I said, hey, were you, were you sniping at me in the sermon today? No, uh, I just preach whatever text comes next. And so we allow the Holy Spirit to do work like that. Indirectly, preaching through books of the Bible like this is helpful because I'm trying to demonstrate for you how to uh, read the Bible. Uh, you don't read it like the newspaper. You don't jump all over the place. You just open, you begin at the beginning of a book and read right through and allow the Spirit of God to teach you the Word. And so next Sunday we will actually finish the book of Revelation. We'll finish up chapter 21 and 22 together. And uh, hey, wouldn't that be cool if we finished the book of the Revelation and Jesus came back next Sunday? How awesome would that be, right? I mean, talk about like a punctuation to the end of a series. Um, this summer I will be going moving to the Old Testament, and uh, originally I told you last year that we were going to go from uh, into the book of Leviticus. We've done Genesis, Exodus, and I was going to move to Leviticus, but you know, the book of Revelation, it points is a little creepy, and it's a, it's a bit heavy, a lot of stuff in here, and so I thought, man, to move straight from Revelation back into the book of Leviticus where there's a whole bunch of slaughter happening all over the place, I thought, man... This is a little heavy for the people, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to move to the book of Nehemiah and uh, walk through the book of Nehemiah and see what the Lord has for us as a church. We'll begin that uh, first Sunday in May. Revelation chapter number 20, let us bow for a word of prayer, and I ask that you pray for me, and I'll pray for you, and let's pray that the Lord would rejoice and, and receive our worship today. Our Father, we do come now to this time where we read and proclaim the word of the living God. And Lord, as a church, we, we affirm that as we read the Scripture, the written word, that we are reading the very words of God. And so we want to tremble before that. We want to be humble. We want to submit ourselves to what your Bible, your word says. We don't stand beside it. We don't stand over it. We stand under it. And we ask that You would change our lives and our hearts and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ through the Scripture. Lord, for Your glory and the good of humanity. I pray for those that are here today that do not know Jesus, Lord. Maybe they might be atheists or agnostic. Father, they might be religious but lost. They might even think that they're believers but not. I pray that You would reveal that into the crevices and corners of our hearts that if we cannot be honest with anybody else, we would be honest with You and honest in our own soul and that we would lay ourselves bare before You and that You would change us by Your mighty power and Spirit. Lord, there are people here today that are hurting, weak, wounded, suffering people. And we pray that You'd encourage them and fill them, strengthen them for this week. We pray most of all that our lives would be given over to the glory of God and as we live, we would be so conformed to Jesus' life 
that people would see us and want to know you. And we will thank you for it, for it is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. So today I want to deal just with verse 11 through verse number 15, but I feel like I must bring us up to speed. So a few weeks ago, you know, I finished chapter number 19, and uh, in the course of time we have been talking about the demise of, you know, you have the dragon in the book of uh, Revelation. It is the devil, all right? So you have the devil, and we talked about the, uh, the falling of all of his allies. You remember we said that, the beast... Uh, the, the false prophet, uh, all the people that followed them in that great city of Babylon. And so some of you that are visiting with us for the first time today, you're like, what in the world? Is this like a Dungeons and Dragons interview or something? But just read the book. You'll see it all there. But uh, you find the demise of all of these enemies. We ended Revelation chapter number 19 with those verses that Babylon and all of the nations of the world that rise against uh, the Lord Jesus, that they are destroyed and completely done away with. And then you move into Revelation chapter number 20 and uh, those first 14 verses and all of a sudden you're thinking, man, we're right back where we started again. Now, for those of you that read and study and some of my scholars in here, you might be thinking, uh, what are the two ways to understand Revelation 20, verse 1 through 14? Well, the first way is to understand that this is in chronological order, that chapter 20 comes right after chapter number 19, that uh, this is some thousand-year literal period of time in the future after Jesus has raptured the church, and then all of the nations rise up against Jesus, and He destroys them at the end. That's one way to understand that. Another way to understand those 14 verses is to understand just like we have the rest of the book of Revelation. You remember we said that there were seven trumpets and you get to the end of the seven trumpets and it looks like it's the end of the world and then you start again, right? Right back at the beginning and you have these seven seals and then you get to the end there and you say, man, it's the end of the world and then you go right back to the beginning and it starts with the seven bowl judgments. Now see, the book of Revelation is best not understood chronologically as it is understood as instant replay, all right? The book of Revelation is simply telling you the same story again and again and again just from a different vantage point. The same way as when you watch a dunk or when you watch somebody run a touchdown, they back it up and they show you the same story from multiple facets. The book of Revelation does not just continue in this long chronological period. It tells you from the first coming of Christ until the consummation of the second coming of Christ, the same story from different vantage points. And so what we would say is that chapter 20, verse 1 through 14 there is talking there about from the time of Christ all the way to the second coming when He comes again. Not something out in the future, but something that is happening right now. Now I'll leave you to study on that, to work on that, and to walk through different commentaries and come to a good understanding of that. But what we can all agree on and what we can all come to is verse 11 through 15 is speaking about the end of the world. The very last of all things, that great white throne judgment where every human being shall stand, if it were so, naked before the Lord. That you by yourself will stand before the God of the universe and give account for what you have done with the Lord Jesus and what you have done with your own life. That is the end of ends. Look with me if you will. Let's read these verses again and I'll make a few thoughts for you. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place 
was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from those things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it. And death and Hades or the grave or hell gave up the dead which was in him. And they were judged, every one of them, according to the deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Powerful, thought-provoking verses. The Bible at this point has no warm, fuzzy feelings. You must come to grips with what the God's Word is saying and ask in your own heart, is that true? Is there coming a day in which I will stand before the God of the universe? And then you must ask yourself this question, am I prepared to meet God with my life, with what I've done, with how I've raised my children, with the way that I've lived and the things that I've said and the places that I've been and the thoughts that have coursed through my mind, am I ready to stand before the King of the universe and give an account for my own life knowing that what hangs in the balance is either an eternity in the lake of fire or an everlasting rejoicing eternity in God's holy heaven? That, my friends, is one mighty question to ask ourselves today. Are you ready to meet God? Let me uh, draw three points from these verses. First of all, from verse 11, I would make this point today. God is our judge. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say something. If you'll come just week after week, you'll hear that we preach right through the Bible and we speak every week about God as our Father and God as the lover of our soul and God as our Redeemer and God as our Sustainer and God as Creator. We talk all the time about the goodness and the mercy of the loving Father, the God in heaven, but make no bones about it. The Bible also says that God is our judge. I remember years ago when I was in Bible college, I don't call any names, this guy came to be the president of our Bible college, and he was a good man. I, he really did. I know he loved Jesus. He was a good man. But he, he kind of had this, like, cheesy statement. Every time he would get up in, like, the chapel and he'd say, Jesus is what? And the whole congregation was supposed to say, awesome. And he would do, I mean, he did it so much, I'm, I had tears coming out of my eyes. It was, Jesus is what? Jesus is what? Awesome, awesome, awesome. And it just got, like, cheesy. And, of course, don't do this now, okay? You know, students, don't do this now. But I got a little tired of the cheesiness. And uh, I was in a class, and here comes the president, and he had some big dignitary, I don't know, trustee or somebody with him. And he came into our class, and we were studying the Bible. And he got up there, he's like, hey, guys, Jesus is what? And I said, God! <laughs> I cannot tell you how awkwardly silent it got in the room. Nor will I tell you what happened to Mr. Tillis after that class. I, I just want to say something to you. Jesus is God. And, and the truths that we talk about from behind this pulpit and out of this word, they're nothing to play with. They're not trifling. 
I want you to understand that Jesus loves you and that He died for you. That He gave His life on the cross. He took every one of your sins, every lie, every gossip, everything that you have ever done, Jesus took into Himself. He died on the cross for your just penalty. And He gives you life if you trust in Him. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. He'll give you eternal life. But I want you to understand something. That if you don't believe in Him, there is judgment to come. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. And whatsoever a man so that shall he also reap. And don't play games with God. God is not your buddy. God is not your BFF. God is the king of the universe that sits upon the throne of eternity. And you don't get to make the decisions as to whether He's good enough for you. You bow in humility, weeping and hoping and begging that the King of Eternity will accept you into His kingdom. That's where we stand as people. So man, that that cuts against who I am. I'm a proud man. I've made my own in this life. And you can make your own in hell if you keep living that way. The only people that enter into eternity are the people that say, oh my... I have sinned and fallen, and in my own heart and in my own mind, I need help. You come to Jesus, you come to God on the grounds of that, and you'll find grace and mercy to help in time of need. God is our judge, and He is awesome. Verse number 11 says that, And I saw this great white throne this great throne, that He is the the throne above every throne, that God is great and He is wonderful and He is mighty and He is worthy of our worship, that He is above every other throne in the world. Not only is He great, but it says that it is a white throne and all throughout the book of the Revelation, the word white is always used to speak of purity and righteousness and holiness. This one that is great, that sits on the throne, that has all of the sovereign power of the universe, it is not just that He is some maniacal tyrant. No, He is bound by His own character which is holy and pure and righteous. And that's the only one that you would want to sit on that throne. It is a great white throne. And I was speaking to a Sunday school class earlier. We don't live in a country nor on a continent that has kings, but I assure you one day you will learn to bow before that king of that country. He is the great ruler. Look at what it says there in verse number 11. Not only that, but from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Don't you see? No created thing can stand in the very presence of God alone. He is the only true constant in the universe. When you read that verse, uh, the earth and the sky are what we consider to be constant. They're there when we get up. They're there when we go to bed. But in this text it says, even the things that we think that are the most constant in the world, they all flee from the very presence of the face of God. And He alone is the constant in the world. He is the one that sits on the throne. He is the most important. Everything else revolves around God who is our judge. My friends, I hope that when you leave here today, lost or saved, that your heart will tremble under the mighty hand of God who is the judge of all the universe and the judge of our hearts. He alone is awesome and wonderful and powerful. 
was reading in the uh, March edition of Psychology Today. They were doing a study on awe and wonder. And they said that wonder is that counter force in the world that pulls us together in a world that is otherwise tearing us apart. Wonder and awe is that force in the world that is pulling us together in a world that is tearing us apart. And you know the problem with most people in the world is that we long and seek for wonder and awe and joy, but we do so in the wrong places. And all that is left at the end of a bottle, all that is left at the end of our drugs, all that is left at the end of Downton Abbey, all that is left at the end of every program and everything in the world is nothing but tearing us apart. And you'll never find joy, you'll never find redemption until you find your wonder and awe in the great king of the universe, the God of the Bible. How shameful it is. How sad it is that we get the cold sweats and our hands get clammy when we meet a movie star at a restaurant. We seek and long and beg for autographs. We scream in stadiums of people that wear skinny jeans and have a great voice for 20 years. But then they're done with. But when it comes to the God of heaven, when is the last time you found Him to be wonderful and worthy of your whole life? Let me ask you just for a moment a way of application, premature application. What do you find wonder in? Those who play in the Super Bowl? Those who perform the halftime show? Or the God of the universe? And what are you going to do when heaven and earth pass away and you stand before the God of eternity naked? Not outwardly, but your heart and soul stand before Him with nothing to hide behind. God is our judge. He is worthy to be praised. Look at verse 12 and 13. Here's the point from verse 12 and 13. Everyone will stand alone before God. Simple points today, but I think they're ones that need to be made. God is our judge from verse 11. From verse 12 and 13, everyone will stand alone before God And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. You see, not even death will keep us from standing before Him on that day. The cross and the throne are level ground to every human being. Do you see what it says there? And I saw the dead. Even your death will not prevent you from standing before God. And then it says the great and the small. Brothers and sisters and friends and those that are joining us today, I want you to understand, you either have these two choices. You come to the cross on level ground or you come to the throne of God on level ground. When you come to the cross, it does not matter what is in your bank account. Jesus receives people at the cross, rich and poor and everybody in between. Your ethnicity doesn't matter at the cross. Red, yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. 
Your heritage means no difference when you come to the cross, whether you've got a great family heritage in Christ or whether you have never had anybody in your family that's ever been anywhere close to Jesus. It doesn't matter if you come to the cross and you see Jesus dying for your sins and you put your faith and trust and confidence in what He has done for you and you open up and you become humble and you say, Jesus, save me and change me. It doesn't matter. The cross is level ground to anybody. All of those that come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He not only died for our sins, but He died for the sins of all the world. The cross is level ground for you. But I want you to understand today that the dead, great and small, will stand before the throne. And on that day, whether you have a lot in your bank account or nothing there at all, you'll have no ground to stand on. Whether you're black or white or red or yellow, you'll still stand at the ground of the throne of God. Whether all of your family were in church and believers and been baptized and they've been a part of that church 50 years, none of that will matter when you stand before God alone. He will look into your eyes, He'll look into your heart, and He'll say, I want to know with your own heart, what have you done with Christ? And so I want to encourage you today. You can come to the cross and trust Jesus. And He'll save you. Or you can wait and go before the throne of God and He will damn you. Look back at the text if you would. And the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now this week I've been pondering and thinking and just meditating on that idea of these books and the book. And uh, I, I want to, maybe this is a, that's a little side note. You know, one way, that, one way to uh, worship the Lord and grow in your Bible reading is just ask questions while you're reading the Bible. God is big enough to answer the questions. Just ask the questions and think through and pray through. Why, why, why books? I mean, God is the eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, powerful being in the universe. Why would He have books? And then I think through that. Is this talking about literal codex kind of books like this? I mean, gee whiz, if there's a book in heaven with all the things I've done wrong in the world, it'd be much bigger than this, right? Well, <laughs> it would be for you. I'd be saying amen. I said, yeah, right? I don't know how big that book is. I mean, what is it, like the size of this room? I don't know necessarily that God has an actual written book or if the book is the book of His mind that He can reveal to us. But why? Why would God have books? With your deeds and my deeds. Why does God judge us according to our works? And why can't He just say, I saw your life and you did wrong and you never received Jesus. Why books? I don't know. Best thing I could come up with was this. That somehow for human beings... Books serve as a reminder that no part of your life goes unseen by God. 
One day when you stand before the Lord and you give an account of what you have done, there will be nothing hidden. God will be able to open up to you the recesses of your mind and heart and soul. And He'll be able to show to you one by one by one by one. And there will be no way for any person in this room or around the world to mount an argument against God that somehow your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. I remember when I was younger, I would listen to people and their, their idea of what it meant to get to heaven was that somehow God had a grand scale in His hand. And on one side, He would put all of the things that you did bad. And on the other side, He put all of the things that you did good. But when you talk with most people and you get down to it, what they really think is that their good deeds slightly outweigh their bad deeds and they'll slip in by the skin of their teeth into heaven. But I want to let you know that God has the books open and you will be judged according to the works that you have done in this life and they will far surmount anything that you've ever done that was good. If God casts you into the lake of fire, be assured it will be under the mountain of evidence against you. Here's the second thought I had. Maybe the things that we have done are worse than we think. Why else would God keep an account? Why would there be a book? Why would God make the time for books and loads of information? I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's God has, maybe nowadays God has jump drives. I don't know. Maybe there's a massive amount of jump drives with information of things that we have done wrong on them. Why would God keep the time for these books of our deeds? I would say to us that maybe the things that you have done wrong are worse than you think they are. The lies that you have told to your parents the ways that you have treated your friends and family, the things you have said and the things that you have done and the thoughts that you have had that have slipped through your mind and you slip them under the rug and you act as if they're not that much, even down to the times when you're unkind to people. I, I want you to understand that our sin offends the holiness of God. And maybe you're not half as good as you think you are. Unless my brothers and sisters in this room think that I'm preaching a message to lost people, I'm talking to you too. And me three. Maybe the things that I slip over and say, hell, I'm in Christ. Jesus loves me. He died for that. Maybe I should take my sins a little more seriously. The book of life is the Lamb's book of life. I'll show you something interesting. Look back, uh, look at uh, chapter 22, verse number 4. I better read 3 for context. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Look back at verse, uh, chapter number 20, verse number, um, verse number 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who sat upon it, from whose presence, it's really the word face, it's the same word, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. You want to know something cool? The truth of the matter is, nothing in the world can stand before the face of God unless 
You're standing before the throne having been written in the Lamb's book of life, having the blood of Jesus washing away all of your sins, being born again by the good grace and mercy of Jesus. Amen and amen. You will stand upon that day in the face of God with the help of Jesus. Let me just give you these two thoughts and I'll move to the next point. Well, look, look, look down the rest of the verse. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged in every one according to their deeds. Even death and the grave and hell must bow before God and give over what they possess. You'll notice there in that verse, those two verses, the repeated warning of being judged by our own deeds is meant to drive us to the cross where Christ alone died for our sins, and only through faith in Him can we have deliverance. I just jotted this down today. I was thinking about it this morning. We busy ourselves with telling others not to judge us instead of living our lives appropriately in front of the one who will judge us. I see that all the time on Facebook and Twitter and people. They rip out of context and misquote Jesus. Judge not that you be not judged. I have no idea what Jesus was talking about. Actually, Jesus was talking in context about making judgments. We're so busy ourselves horizontally with what other people think and what they say and what they judge us instead of living our lives appropriately under the vertical hand and eye of God and saying, one day He will judge us. How then should I live my life? In uh, an article back in, I think, December of last year, uh, this uh, actress, uh, Jessica Alba, I think is how she pronounces it, she gave, a, she gave an interview to Vanity Fair. And she said, when I was young, I had this desire to be famous and to make a difference and to have purpose in the world, so I became a Christian. And then I decided that I wanted to be an actress, and I went to school and I found somebody who is living a life contrary to what the Bible teaches. But they were so nice and so kind that I could not give over myself to the idea that one day they would stand judged before God. So I jettisoned the idea of Christianity. God will never judge. I would say to you that according to the word of the living God, Miss Alba is wrong. And God will judge people for what they have done. And the way to avoid the judgment is to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to ask for Him to be the judgment for your sins. Let me make one last point. We'll be finished for today. Verse 14 and verse 15. What will His verdict be on your life? Verse 14 and 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. You know, those of you that want to highlight repeating phrases, you'll want to note these two verses. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The severity of the lake of fire is seen in the fact that both death and the grave and hell is picked up and thrown into the lake of fire. I'm telling you, this is a terrible, awful, awful place. It is such an awful place that death and hell are both ripped out of their socket and thrown into this one gigantic, terrible place of the abyss and the judgment of the devil. The certainty of the lake of fire is seen in the threefold repetition in these two verses. Did you pick that up in verse 14 and 15? The lake of fire. The lake of fire. The lake of fire. I wish with my heart I did not have to preach to you that truth, but it is there, it is before us, and every eye and every ear that is here today, please see, please hear, and please receive the fact that one day those who are not in Christ will be judged according to what they have done, and they will be put in the place of the damned for all eternity. Look what stands at the center between verse 14 and 15. Between the destruction is the book of life that reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You can face the burning lake of fire yourself, or you can come to Christ who had the lake of judgment poured on Him when He was dying on the cross and trust Him and He will write your name in the book of life. Let me make just a few points of application. If you're here today, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and let me make a careful distinction. I didn't say, say a prayer, be baptized, sign a card, join a church. When I say that you have trusted Christ as your Savior, what I mean is that you have an ongoing, right, ongoing, daily, weekly, an ongoing, interactive, that means that it's both-sided, that you love God and He loves you, you love Christ, He loves you, you're following Him, walking with Him, stumbling, yes, failing, yes, but that you love Jesus, that it's an ongoing, interactive relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby you have turned from your own sin, your own trust, self-worth, and you've put your whole confidence, your whole trust, your whole life, all of the eggs of your life into one basket. You have said, Jesus is all the world to me. I'll take Jesus and everything else can be done away with. If you don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus right now, on the authority of God's Word, you are not a believer But you can be. And that's the good news. Say, so, Steve, why do you stand in front of people all alone and preach a hard message like this? Because I want you to understand today that this might be the first day of the rest of your life in Christ. 
And the good news is you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to the lake of fire. You don't have to pay for all of the sins and all of the shame and all of the guilt of all of the closets of your life. Today, you're hearing my, from my voice and God's word. And in your heart right now, you know that what you need to do is trust Jesus and give him everything. I would not let one distraction nor one person nor anything come between you and that today. So Steve, how does that work? In sincerity and in humility. If you'll pray and call out to the Lord the best you can in your own voice, in your own heart, in your own way, and say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to do this myself. As of this moment, I give you all of my life. Please save me. He will save you in that moment. Say, Steve, does confetti, confetti fall from the roof and I walk hovering above the ground? No. Does life continue to go on? Yes. What happens? God gives you a new heart. God changes your desires. God washes your sins away through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And your life will never be the same. Second point of application. To every believer in this room that's a member of this church, will you hear me for just a minute? I, I, this isn't coming at you. This is coming at us together. You know what's been beating in my heart and in my mind the past several days? Do I really believe that? Do you believe that there will be an eternal day of judgment? And if you do, what are you doing about that with the lost people that are around you? What adjustments do you need to make in your life and in your family's life so that God and His glory and the good of humanity by coming to faith in the gospel of Jesus becomes paramount and central and the zenith of your life that everything pales in comparison of giving God glory and the world the gospel? What are you doing about that tomorrow and this week? And what is our church doing about that? I want that to drive me some this week. Last point of application I'll make to the believer who is hurting, who is weak. Jesus sent out his 70 disciples. Actually, sent out his 12. And they came back. They had done a whole bunch of ministry. And they had done some healings. And they had done a whole bunch of cool stuff. I'm paraphrasing. I'm giving you a Steve paraphrase now. They had done a, bunch, a whole bunch of cool stuff. They come skipping back on cloud nine to Jesus and they said, you would not believe what kind of miracles we have done. And Jesus put them in their place and said, rejoice not in all of this. Rejoice that your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Why? Because it reminds every believer to be humble and to remember that if you are in Christ, if you are a believer, it is because God has done a work in your heart and you have merely trusted Him by faith. And we are not supposed to rejoice so much in all of the cool and fanciful things. Those are benefits. But we are to rejoice in the gospel of the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who gives us new life 
and resurrection from death unto life and has washed our sins away. And the most important thing in the world is that we glorify Him for that and we share that truth with every other human being we possibly can. Are you living that way? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In just a minute, we'll sing a song together. I want to try and communicate this as clearly as I can. So just maybe, just keep your eyes closed. Those of you that are believers, would you just pray for a moment and do business with the Lord? You know, whether you're giving the gospel or rejoicing in it. And make that right with the Lord. But let me speak for a moment to those that are here today that are lost. Uh, Some of you have been a part of this church. Some of you, this might be your first time. Others of you are skeptical. But you know that right now in your heart, as you listen to the preaching of the Word, you're convinced that somehow, some way, underneath all of the pretense, that what the Bible says is real, and that God is your judge, and the only hope that you have is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't let anything send you to hell. Not a laughing person, not an embarrassment at friends, not concerned about what other people think. You don't want to wind up in that most terrible of places and say, man, if I just would have swallowed my pride and believed in Jesus, how to spend eternity with Christ. Right where you are right now, just simply ask the Lord to save you from your sin and to become the king of your life. The best that you know how, you surrender to Him the rest of your life. Trust what He did on the cross, paying for your sins. Trust in His resurrection. And give your life to Him. In just a moment, we will stand and we will sing together. And when this this service is dismissed, if you trust Christ as your Savior, Come and see me. Wait. Everything will wait. Food will wait. The rest of the day will wait. Just talk to me. Take me off to the side. We want to help you. We want to teach you. We want to strengthen you and walk with you as you learn to be a believer. Stand with us today and sing this song if you would.